0: Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. Today, I'm joined by lead analyst Logan Modashami to talk about home prices, lumber crashing, and housing inventory. First, here's a word from our sponsor. This is Sarah Wheeler, Editor-in-Chief at HW Media, talking with Matt Dowd, Vice President of Product Management at ICE Mortgage Technology about mortgage automation. Matt, how can lenders take advantage of automated underwriting? Let me address that in two ways. The first, and I think the most obvious, is through technology. And there's options out there, right? Lenders can build their own teams and technology to solve the problem, or you know, there's multiple vendors in the space that will help solve it for them. The second point is really by defining areas they want to improve. So the focus, you know, is it on faster turnaround times? Is it on increased volume? Is it better efficiencies or optimization, better quality, a better customer experience, or all the above potentially. But I think it's super important that those are clearly defined if you're going to take advantage of
1: automated underwriting.
0: Love that, and listeners, you can find out more at icemortgagetechnology.com. Logan, welcome to the podcast.
2: It is wonderful to be here, Sarah, and I just want to let you know that a lot of our listeners have been sending their favorite slow dance songs, so now I'm curious, what is yours?
0: Oh my gosh, putting me on the spot yes, yet again. Yes, we have the best listeners. I love that they always put things in. I'm going to go with Open Arms by Journey. How's that? Okay. There you go. Now there you enough. have it. All right, and we know what yours is. All right, well, <laughs> let's jump into the topic of the day. Let's talk about home prices.
2: Yes, the uh Case-Shiller index and the FHFA home price index, the Zillow price index, the Fannie Mae price index, they're all, you know, it's positive uh, uh, for this year, month-to-month positive. Uh, some of the uh, data line is really beating estimates. So the question is, can home prices be positive in 2023? Not part of my forecast, you know, and when I when I did my 2023 forecast, you know, I specifically stated if mortgage rates stay above 5.875%, right, the higher it is, the because not because supply is big, it's just the affordability issue. Could you imagine the housing market if mortgage rates were 5.75% and below? Something we haven't even broken yet. And one of the things that's that is becoming more apparent, you know, the buy-downs of rates, you know, people seller concessions, bringing rates lower is helping uh, stabilize the housing market and pricing is firmed up in a, in a seasonal strong pricing period. So that we're going to get some negative year over year prints. Some of the comps are hard on, on the pricing data in, in a few months, but clearly this is not the story of 2022. Uh, I mean, the second half of 2022 was clearly weak seasonal uh, pricing, but negative. Uh, uh, and that was part, a lot of that had to do with that move from five, up to 7.375%. And that becomes an affordability issue. So even though total active listings or low, supply is low, the products in some areas, right? Not everywhere in America, some areas of the US have weakness in pricing. And, you know, if rates, let's say the economy gets weaker, rates go down lower, uh, you could start to make a case for that. But I'm not unlike other people. I just do one forecast and I run it off of that because you know, I put a lot of variables in there. But clearly, the housing market dynamics have changed. Uh, today we got purchase application data. It's another positive weekly print that makes nine positive prints this year versus six negative. That gives us sixteen positive prints versus six negative prints since the uh, uh, since November 9th Doing some holiday adjustments, you know. So the housing dynamics change, and just to let everyone know. This has all been happening with lumber prices collapsing, and I think that's that's another thing. A lot of people and uh, have said, "Well, housing's crashing because lumber prices are crashing." Lumber prices have been crashing for some time. The housing market has now six months of uh, positive forward-looking data. So, using lumber without using the other housing variables did not work. And even today, I see on Twitter that people are putting lumber prices, lumber prices, and during this whole entire time, lumber prices have been falling, but the housing data got better, and there's a reason for that. I I don't even use lumber as part of my housing wire tracker or forward looking, like I it's it's a piece of wood. Like how would it know that people are buying rates down or anything? There's other variables that are more important, and if you're tying it to lumber, then the housing data should not have improved in the last six months. So there's some confusion about that. But if you just think about it, it's a commodity. It's really tied to housing permits rather than housing demand and mortgage rates. Mortgage rates falling is a bigger, more valuable uh, uh, variable than lumber prices at this stage, considering how far home sales fell last year.
0: So you mentioned November 9th. Um, you mentioned just now it's it's in uh, different of your articles. It's in the tracker. Tell us why November 9th, like why is that important and, and what changed on November 9th or why do you track that?
2: Connect the dots, be the detective, not the troll. We always say go back to October 27th, October 27th, we wrote the case for mortgage rates to fall Uh, on that day. The uh, uh, feds number one recessionary indicator went off. Uh, The dollar was getting stronger. The 10 year yield got to a very high level. Uh, Usually that's a top in a, in an expansion. And then from that point on mortgage rates started to fall as mortgage rates started to fall. The data line because it's working from a waterfall dive started to get better so november 9th is when we started the positive purchase application data and hardly anyone cared right everyone the whole highlight was the big housing crash housing crash and during that entire and i've seen this happen so many times uh forward-looking data gets better but people are talking about an old story because it's sexier to talk about an old story so as that time has gone on i we, we calculate the data and you can see now what's happened. I always talk about duration. You know, you need at least 12 to 14 weeks to make anything out of purchase application data. We're we're now almost like, you know, getting to the six-month stage, and we have more positive prints and we're working from a low bar. So you think of it as stabilization. So it all reflects onto that date because that was the inflection point. And now the seasonality of purchase application data is almost done. Usually I just wait this on the second week of January to the first week of May. After May, total volumes traditionally fall. so you get the front loaded you know spring uh, buyer demand in there. Uh, so it's stabilized, right it, It's not a collapsing housing market. The existing home sales don't show that. new home sales, which beat estimates of one year high doesn't show that purchase application data doesn't show that. the 10-year yield looks exactly where it should be. mortgage rates are have come come down, but even though the it's not fallen below six percent. Data's just stabilizing. I think it's it's really hard to say housing's crashing when demand is stable and has risen from the bottom. That that doesn't really work in economics. A crashing demand means home sales keep on falling, right? So that's why I say use that four million level as kind of your low bar. You know, uh, we have a range now. And uh, demand has been stable during this increase from the bottom end of that range. So that's that's kind of what the 2023 story is. And I think a lot of people are surprised because they didn't read forward-looking data. And this is the fourth time in the last, let's say, nine years I've seen this happen, uh, where forward-looking data was ignored because it's more provocative to talk about housing crashing at that point, and then people missed it.
0: Thank you for that explanation. You know, uh, I because I get to edit all the things you do. I know why that date is so important, but that's also one of the reasons that was before we were starting to do the tracker. So you you've always been looking at forward looking data. You've always been tracking it, but now you collate it together and put it together for the whole industry so they can see it.
2: Yeah, and it's really you know in in 2013 and 14, you know, uh, purchase application data adjusting to population hit an all time low. We got to those levels again. And then it started to improve, and then what I noticed is that people didn't care. They caught it saying, "Oh, the index is low then you know they they and the data started getting better, and they simply didn't care in in uh twenty eighteen the funny part is twenty eighteen was supposed to be the big housing crash, and we hardly had any negative purchase application data so i I just don't think people are looking. Or reading, right? Why well, I say reading is a good thing, right? I just don't think people read housing data or correctly housing data. So uh that's why, you know, I as soon as, as soon as we're ready to go, I was get that tracker out because this is how I've looked at it. So you could back test it, you could see, okay, what is Logan talking about? He's always talking about November 9th. Well, look, be the detective, not the troll. Connect the dots. So what's what's occurred is like my housing bubble crash friends are like what's going on here how did this happen? Lumber prices are falling everything, and everything. And it just, it didn't, it didn't work out because the forward-looking data got better. Regardless of what you think the housing market should do, uh, the data didn't support it at that point. If, de- if the purchase application data was still going lower and stuff like that, you just it's still negative. But six months now, right? Things have changed and you kind of don't want to be looked at as a lazy person. And consider yourself like a housing expert when you don't even have the energy to look at data, which it doesn't take that. It's not like you're asking people to ride horses to get you paper from another country. You just click a button. That's all it takes. You know, so if you visually can see and you have a second grade education, you can do this, right? There's nothing uh, uh, preventing you. It's just that I think some people got lazy and just held on to an old narrative and we're here today. Uh, as a new home sales report shows, Wall Street was wrong about that uh, uh, for for some time.
0: I like how you say my housing bubble friends. Are they friends? Are they really friends? I think they're more like uh, frenemies, at least.
2: I've always said this. There's a relationship sometimes in, in life. And, you know, the Joker and the Batman have been doing that dance for 60, 70 years. Um, and uh, uh, they, they, they kind of need each other. So the, the most bearish American citizens of our lifetime have always been one group of people, and I'm not going to be them. So naturally, this is going to be two groups that are always going to be in, in contested uh, rivals on, on, on where the United States of America is going
0: well i I love that let's okay, so this is an exciting day because we can finally say, like the tracker headline this week was "Inventory finally rises." This is what we've been waiting for. You do have a caveat on this, but let's talk about inventory
2: yes, you know the the it's the longest time to find a seasonal bottom in inventory ever, so that's a fact. uh new listings data is trending at all time lows. That's a fact. Uh, but we've always had seasonal increases in inventory. Uh, uh, even in COVID, there was a, a, a few weeks where we got the seasonal inventory increase, and then of course COVID changed everything. But for me, it's—I uh, I still have to believe until I see like years of seasonality data changing. I'm just going to stick with the seasonality of inventory rising in the spring and f- in falling in the fall and winter. Um, So we saw a a nice pop in active listings. I know there could be some Easter effect into this for a two week period, but we're late in the year Um, and new listings data is very seasonal as well. We have about nine weeks left before that data line starts to decline, declines every year, right? It's seasonal as well. So uh, it doesn't take much to move the needle. So I know some people push back on me on this and say, it's a mortgage rate lockdown. Nobody's going to list their homes. That's not true. Mortgage rate lockdown isn't true. People list their homes every year. Um, and we just don't have as many as people have thought. And now we're going to see if we could uh, uh, get a get a few months of inventory increasing. And again, look at when, when I put those charts out there, you can get historical context because one of the things I've seen over the years is that whenever the inventory increases, people shorten the chart and they go, oh, look, housing d- data is getting terrible because inventory is rising and nobody's buying. No, that's the seasonal increase happens every year. You could look at the chart going back. Remember, don't be lazy. doesn't take much. Just go look at the chart. It happens every year, right? But there's been a constant downtrend in supply. Um, And there's no excuse. There's no excuse. Unless you can't visually see, there's no excuse not to know that there is a seasonal increase every year and there's a seasonal decline.
0: That chart is one of my favorites. So that's the chart that shows inventory since 1982. Is that it?
2: Yes. Yes. That's the uh, AR chart. And you could clearly see the seasonality pat- patterns of inventory post 2010. And again, for me, it's credit channels explained, inventory channels. And it's it, we have over 10 years of data on this. Uh, uh, the things have changed and the people that are still stuck in the early part of the century, uh, I don't know if they can ever come back, Sarah. I think it's uh it's you 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 get it you fall into that black hole and you just you don't find a way to get out of it and uh that's that's part of part of the reason why we're here we want to explain data in a correct proper fashion whether it's bearish or bullish it, that doesn't matter it's just the data itself uh that one that one is one of the easier ones to read too
0: I think it's interesting because the more that I look at you know um these different topics on social you see how incredibly how how much in misinformation is out there and this is the place where a lot of people get their news even if they're housing professionals i'm not just talking about consumers housing professionals are getting their news off of tiktok hey there might be some great sources there on instagram but like there are also you know i mean i mean you need to be skeptical you you need to do your research
2: sarah 90% of it is garbage I mean, I'll be honest with you. It's such such garbage garbage and it's such trolling. And and the easiest way to solve this is look at people who forecast. 90, well, actually almost 100% of them do not forecast. They're just doing it for trolling purposes, right? So naturally I said, okay, let's Let's take them all out, right? Um, so, believe in people who believe in models, and it's it, the the inventory channel data is very clear. It's not even a hard one to read. So, uh, hopefully uh, that hopefully what I've done this year is try to explain why inventory seasonal bottoms later on. We did that in February. I thought that was a very useful podcast for us for this year there's some abnormal things that have happened after 2020 that just pushes things up but we always have the seasonal increase so it should come the, the again the, the the more problematic data line of this year has been uh, new listings data is trending at all time loans. But this last week, we saw a good pop in that. So that's also another seasonal data line. So I'm very excited to get the seasonal increase. I've been waiting for it. Uh, um, so I just don't want to jinx it. And uh, let's get this going because that's this is how a normal housing cycle works, right? Seasonal Im- inventory increase, seasonal declines. And then we work off the affordability and what needs to happen.
0: I love it. Okay, let's talk about mortgage rates. Where is the ten-year yield? We have to talk. We have to say the word Gandalf line if we're doing our bingo card. Gandalf line has to be on this. It
2: happened again, Sarah. The Gandalf line was tested again yesterday and this morning. It bounced off again. Okay, wait. Remind
0: us what the Gandalf line is.
2: So it's a it's a level in the ten-year yield, uh, going back many months ago. That I said, this level is going to be hard to break. So we're going to use the Gandalf line in the sand, you shall not pass. And it's got tested multiple times. Now, we did have one break of it, the height of the uh, banking crisis, and then it just kind of shot back up without the banking crisis. And even with the banking news this week uh, uh, on First Republic, we just tested it. And so far this, this morning, we bounced off of it. So just on a technical basis, that, that one's going to be a little bit harder. And it runs in line with my 2023 forecast of the 10-year yield just being arranged between 3.21 and four and a quarter this year, And as long as the economy stays firm. But when the labor market breaks, jobless claims rising above 323,000, there is my premise for bond yields to break lower in that 2.72 area. Would be the next target but and but so far even with the banking crisis and everything the Gandalf line is pretty much held uh most of the time so uh we had we had one test above four percent but we never got to four and a quarter so so if you look at the chart of the ten year yield you kind of see what I'm talking about the bond market doesn't really want to go higher doesn't want to break above four and a quarter but it really is pressing down lower and I think the lower claim, the lower, breaking that low is really the labor market at this point. And that's why the whole thing for me is about the labor market and jobless claims at this point.
0: And what information are we getting this week that has, um, you know, bearing on that?
2: Well, I, you know, we're going to get, uh, when we talk about this, when this when this podcast comes out, it's Thursday morning. So the jobless claims data will be out already. Uh pending home sales will be coming on Thursday morning. Also, the Fed's uh inflationary tracker, the PCE personal consumption expenditures. That's their two percent line they want to see uh, uh get back to. So that comes out on a Friday. So we we've got some we've got some data reports that could that can move the bond market, but again the range looks right to me so uh i i, I know i know a lot of people have, want to make a case that bond yields should be higher or bond yields should be lower because of you know uh some of the economic data but as of now just where the labor market is still it looks it looks fine but will we we'll have that inflation report on friday uh, and we'll have pending home sales. And again, w- w- when we talk about pending home sales, we've already had like a big bounce on that. We've got three positive prints. So we, we do have six negative weekly data lines in 2023 for purchase application data. So that will filter into the pending home sales or the existing home sales. So that's why I talk about just keep that range between 4 million, and 4. 6 million. If we go below 4 million demand's definitely getting weaker than uh, uh than anyone's thinking about. If we go above 4.6 million demand's definitely better. Uh of course new home sales uh yes, yesterday came in as a big beat. Uh and again, mortgage rates over lumber prices, right? The builders can buy down rates. They have a they honestly have like an unfair advantage at this point because total active listings are low. Uh they can provide something for their for their buyers that uh, 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 the existing home sales maybe not as efficiently can do.
0: That's a great point. Okay. So we on this podcast have talked about bank failures and we have another bank in stress, if not failure, which is First Republic. Do you want to speak to that?
2: Yeah. I mean, they had a bank run. I mean, they had like, I don't know, 42% of their deposits leave and then they needed the $30 billion in injections. Um, Again... Rule of thumb, you, you, you have to prevent bank runs early uh, before then. But again, in this case, uh, worse comes to worse, the government takes them over or somebody buys them. Um, there's not a what we call a systemic risk of multiple banks failing the, the 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 Fed, and everybody is trying to prevent any of that happening. But this looks like another casualty, uh, and which means that uh, lending standards are going to get tighter, uh, credit is going to get tighter. Uh, we see that in the uh, uh, credit data. You know, I know one of the Fed members says we believe the credit data is not going to get worse. Oh, it, it, it's already worse, right? The uh, the b- small business index credit tightening is already there. Uh, uh, other credit uh, uh, tightening of standards surveys are getting tighter. It's already happened. So for the, for some of the Fed members to say that we well, it might not happen. It's already here. So. Uh, we have to take the economic data in context to that. And partly some of, I mean, my belief is that the Fed wants this, right? They want their job loss recession. So banking, credit getting tighter can help them uh, get to that point. Uh, I am not a Fed pivot person, haven't been. I've basically said, I went on CNBC and said, hey, listen, they want the labor market to break. They've talked about it for a long time. Believe them, they're not pivoting until people lose their jobs. So Go with that until it happens. And again, for me, that's just jobless claims breaking. So we'll see how how it goes. But with the, with the first with first Republican bank, it, it looks like they're gonna they're gonna get bought or the FDIC will come in, uh, and and that'll be that. Because again, you, banks, no bank can really survive a bank run without having damages. And also, it becomes harder to make money uh, uh, in that situation when you when you have to be not as aggressive on lending. So. Tough situation for them, um, but in this day and age, bank runs are hours because of slack, you know, uh, and social media, and uh, the Federal Reserve and all governments have to uh, address, you know, faster responses. Uh, than before, and the Fed did that for to their credit. Emergency crisis; they had those uh, meetings, and they 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 took care of the problem as fast as they could.
0: So, from your perspective, I mean, like Silicon Valley Bank, we all kind of went, okay, this is a very specific kind of bank with a very specific kind of clientele, and all that. Like, I, I guess I don't I don't see what happened here, and and how that relates.
2: It, it, it's Sarah. It went it doesn't matter how good your bank is. 20, 30% of your deposits leave within a short amount of time, you're in trouble. Um, and that's why, you know, that's why Jay Powell wrote in 1991, you know, we have the tools to prevent bank runs from getting worse, which means you got to go big and you got to go early. And this way it, it 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 stops the problem. So, you know, everyone's mindful of this. It's like the commercial real estate uh, loan's going to go bad. Everyone knows it's coming so there's you know hopefully uh uh things are in place to to take care of that but w- when we talk about commercial real estate loans people forget you know that's like hotels too so it's not just all office spaces i think like, like 15 to 16% of of the debt out there is office spaces um so there's 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 other other areas in the commercial industry so so right now the next the next step down can be how much damage do those losses uh, uh, impact those banks, and they're tied to regional uh, small lenders, not the big commercial banks?
0: Okay. What else is on your uh, docket this week? What else are you looking at?
2: Well, again, the I think the the disconnection with lumber prices and housing data uh, um, it, it's 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 a talking point of mine this week, and I, I totally understand because people were people believed one hundred percent that. Lumber prices are falling, housing demand is crashing, and that didn't happen this time. Uh, Demand stabilized, and lumber prices today are down, and everybody's like, what's going on? So uh, everyone can have their own model. I I, I will not. If anybody has a model on how they look at housing, that's perfectly fine. Nobody has to agree 100%. Um, But lumber prices are not part of the tracker for a reason. Right, uh, mortgage rates, demographics, credit, all these things, the inventory, the, these things to me matter more than lumber. When I think of lumber prices, I think of housing permits. Like the, the housing recession is still here because permits aren't rising. If permits are rising, the in, builder's confidence is already rising. So that gets you out of the housing recession. That's been how housing economic cycles have worked for decades. But lumber prices keep on falling. It's just, I think people are confused because. You know people just push lumber falling, homes home prices are crashing and, and and none of that's happening. So uh that's that's my that's my talking point for this week. Be careful of just putting all your eggs, which egg prices have fall. And Holden got Holden got his house. He egg. did. Holden is is so I I retweeted <laughs> his tweet and I said, Look, egg prices have collapsed and chaos is back. People are now, you know, people could egg people's homes again because egg prices have fallen. So um so, yeah, you know, it just um, for for this week, you know, kind of be mindful of lumber prices. Of course, uh, we're going to get pending home sales, purchase applications positive. Don't think of housing as like a v-shaped recovery. Just think of it as a stabilization and a bounce from a very deep bottom. And we'll take it one week at the time. And then I'm really like waiting for the next inventory. I'm hoping we just get the growth and everything's back to normal, and we could, you know, salvage this year. With more active listings, more people selling their homes, buying their homes, and getting a more functioning housing market.
0: And you get that data from Altos Research. You get it on Saturday morning, is that right? You, and you get—I
2: I, I mean, I, I have the data like Friday night. I do a little tease on Twitter on Saturday, which is—I so not fair. It's so not fair giving me Altos Research data. It's just like <laughs> a kid at a candy store, and I was just like, oh, but. Uh, The tracker comes out every Sunday and then tracker is designed to look forward bond yields, mortgage rates, seasonal inventory, uh, uh, purchase application data, the things that have worked with housing data uh, since the Peloponnesian war and uh, use those things over lumber prices. Because if you went with lumber prices, you missed the last six months. And uh, I I understand it's 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 lumber prices crashing. I, I get it. But. It didn't work this time.
0: It reminds me of the conversation we had with um, Mahana Atama, um, the debate that we had, um, where we tried to define what is a housing crash, what does it look like for housing to crash, and what does it look like for prices to crash, what would that range look like, and we are nowhere near that range.
2: No, I think – I uh, every. Every bubble crash person has to go back to the original where the bubble started. Which is the funny thing is the the housing bubble boys were so wrong that the 2012 to 2019 bubble call meant that home prices had to come to 2012 and a lot of the same tactics are used now that they were then, but they're the same people. Like you you are like I said wait a second, what happened to your first bubble call? No, we're we're number 2. <laughs> is this 3.0? I'm not I'm confused. Is it 3.0 or 2.0? I, which one? Which one are we in? So, a lot of people are saying that home prices have to come back down to 2019 levels. So that's that's the retracement of the bubble. That's where stock traders get their number from because that chart has to go back. It has to because that's what trendline charts are. Okay, I, I understand that concept of your trading stocks, but here the seller, a home seller, is a human being right it is not a clicking of a mouse you know buying and selling transaction volumes in a very liquid market stock traders so uh, uh, a seller has to willingly give you their home at a lower price and also the funny thing is that and th- this is a good 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 tip for everyone people always say home prices are going to fall like 30 40% if it's underneath the debt of the house, that has to go through a short sale or foreclosure. So it, it's not that liquid. You can't just willfully sell your house that low without the banks being proud of the process. So it's not a very liquid market in that sense. So you have to be a little bit, I mean, there the history of nominal, big major mo- nominal declines are, are really rare. So in, in our case here, what, what I've talked about is that the affordability metrics got so blown out early on. But again, every year wages rise if mortgage rates fall mortgage rates um, wages rise rates fall the affordability index gets a little bit better it's just that in the second half of 2022 you go from 3% to 7.37% that's a historical event off of you know 40% home price growth in a very short amount of time that Whatever, how low the inventory level is, the product cannot be sold at that high rate, at that high price rate. So it has to balance itself again. That's why we see a lot of the uh, uh, pricing weakness in the West Coast, and then everywhere else is like stable. So. Uh, mm-hmm. Remember, the entire housing market isn't the city of San Francisco. I know a lot of people like to make it, but no, it it doesn't work that way.
0: It doesn't. Well, Logan, once again, thank you so much for being on. We will talk to you again soon, and I would encourage everyone to look out for the tracker starting Sunday night. You have it done usually Sunday midday, and then it takes me a while to get to it and get it up on the site. But um, we're excited to offer that on Sunday night so people can kind of get a jump on the market before everything starts.
2: Pleasure is all mine, Sarah. And one of these days at a conference, I'll have to pick out my other favorite slow dance songs. And then you and I are going to have to dance on stage with a chart of the 10-year yield and mortgage rates, right? And then we can get everybody to you know, get a dance partner. And then everybody at the conference will be dancing to the 10-year yield and mortgage rates. And then everybody will understand that that relationship is a very good one for a very long time.
0: (laughs) All right. Thank you, Logan.
1: we have a slack channel at hw that publishes all the new registered users for our hw events like the gathering of eagles coming up in june and housing wire annual coming up in october i was just scrolling through the gathering of eagles feed on slack and wow i am blown away with the quality of the attendees leaders from keller williams better homes and gardens exp compass hannah holdings remax and home services And incredible ecosystem partners like Zillow, Austin Board of Realtors, New Western Acquisitions, UWM and Bright MLS, just to name a few. If you aren't familiar with GOE, this is our real estate brokerage event for the most elite brokers, teams, MLS execs, and State and Local Association of Realtors leaders. June 18th through 21st in Austin, Texas, at the amazing Omni Barton Creek Resort, visit the events tab on Realtrends.com or HousingWire.com to register.